Escape from Plan A. So guys, this is about the controversy that's happening on Twitter right now and in the industry at whole, where the book The Blood Air by a Chinese immigrant, she's a woman of color, and she immigrated to America when she was 18, um, wrote a book, and no, I will not be using her name, I will speak about her as a woman of color because I have a point to make with that. Um, but she wrote a book, it's Anastasia retelling set in the Russia-esque fantasy world, where people of different ethnicities live in this fantasy world, but they are not oppressed because of their ethnicities, they are oppressed because they have magic that is considered very dark and deadly, and apparently it is dark and deadly, and those who do not have that kind of power oppress these individuals with that power. So that being said, um, there was calling to question whether it was anti-blackness, there was calling to question whether she plagiarized, and her use of Russian pronouns, I think. Those are the issues kind of surrounding Welcome back, listeners, to Escape from Plan A. I'm your host, Oxford Kondo, and on this great day, I am joined by Jess. Hello. And Diana. Hi, everyone. And Mark. Hey, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well. All right, so this episode was is kind of a last-minute one because we had a uh, like a, we kind of have a vault of episodes that we've already recorded, and we were planning on releasing one. Then this uh, Twitter drama happened on on the YA, uh, aka Young Adult Twitter about this uh, young Asian-American writer, Amelie Wen Zhao, who's kind of had to like self-cancel her own book, A Blood Air, based on a bunch of these criticisms. And we thought it touched upon a lot of things. Uh, I mean, it, it involves an, an Asian person, so that already piqued our interest, but it has to do with all sorts of other questions like, do Asian women count as women of color? And how do you know minorities work in, the, in incredibly white-dominated fields? And like, why is why a such a battleground for a lot of these kind of like political battles so uh yeah we definitely thought this warranted a podcast but uh, before we start just want to um say a few words about if you like us please subscribe to us on itunes soundcloud spotify and google play and if you really like us you know please leave a review you know five stars and even a comment that means a lot to us and if you uh, not only have comments but also submissions please send them to editor.planamag at gmail.com. We'll put the, this email and all this info in our um, episode description. And of course, uh, us individually, we all have Twitter accounts. We'll also put that in the episode description. And Plan A has a Facebook, so you know, please follow that as well. Okay, now that that's out of the way, uh, so let's uh, let's talk about what happened. And I think a lot of people are really confused because there have been some very like cryptic tweets about what's happened. A lot of people have tweeted, you know, what what's going on. We want to know uh, what's happening, and and a lot of this, uh, you know, information hasn't been easily uh, been able to to get out. And luckily, we we had someone who was kind of in the know. Uh, you know, he or she will remain anonymous. Uh, but, you know, we, we do have some things, uh, background info. So I'll just start, uh, you know, just telling the story, I guess, uh, as best as I can. And if anybody has anything to add, please jump in as soon as possible to to add in. Okay? Sounds good. All right. So uh, this all happened because this writer, Emily Wenzhou, she's, I think, a young writer. I don't know if it's her debut book or near debut book, but it's coming out this summer called Blood Air. And it's this fantasy novel set kind of in this fictionalized medieval Russia. And, you know, it had a lot of hype. It looked like it was going to be this big uh, bestseller. But then uh, a few days ago, she came out on Twitter and apologized because her her book had some like insensitive scenes regarding, uh, you know, uh, African-American slavery. And she kind of like, pulled the book from from the shelf, you know, even though it hadn't come out yet. So a lot of people were wondering, and because this fit in a certain type of uh, behavior we've seen on YA Twitter, uh, a vulture 
had written about this before, uh, about this other book that got heavily criticized before it came out. I think it was called Blood Witch. And this article came out either last year or maybe a year before that. Black uh, by Witch. Kat Rosenfeld talked... Hmm? Black Witch. It's Black Witch, not Blood Witch. Oh, Black Witch. Uh, yeah. Um, and it was about how YA Twitter was particularly uh, toxic. And, you know, we shouldn't take, you know, New York Magazine at their word. We know they can write one-sided pieces. You know, we all have experienced that personally. But um, this is... You know, something that seems to be uh, something that's up in the air. Like, hey, what the fuck is up with YA Twitter? And this, uh, because there were no clear answers about what was wrong with, with this book, people start jumping to speculations. And based on what I've heard, there seems to be like two separate issues going on here. One is that, yes, there is this, uh, you know, uh, kind of like racist scene in which uh, apparently there's like some kind of like depiction of like a dark-skinned person getting sold at slavery who ends up dying to serve like the white protagonist or you know a white character and another thing uh is as a more personal attack on the author because they're comparing her to this uh infamous writer named kathleen hale whom i never heard of until until this whole thing happened but um it has to do with you know obsessively uh you know stalking either cyber stalking or in real life stalking uh critics of of one's work uh, so there were whisper campaigns about that. So that kind of seems to be two different issues. Uh, I think mainly the kind of like the the people of color are more critiquing her on on those uh, aspects of the story that uh, are more kind of like maybe at, at best racially insensitive. And it seems to be more like like the the white women are are seem to be more fixated on this whole Kathleen Hale thing. I I you know what the fuck is going on right i mean that's why we're doing this part we kind of we're, we're like we don't really know what's you know that's going on either we're you know so it's like you know one two better not sue we're just you know going off on, on what we you know trying to uh shed light on best we can yeah and i think it's important that like these two issues are happening at different times right because the it was like first um the white women were insinuating that this author um, was like stalking other authors and just like saving screenshots of like her bad reviews and like trying to um, harass the people who gave those reviews, like similar to um, that Kathleen Hale person. And then after the advanced reading copies of her book came out, the black uh, women authors were like, oh, actually, this is uh legit problematic and they weren't saying anything bad about her they were just like stating their opinions pretty matter-of-factly on twitter that like you know there's like specific elements of this book that are problematic mm-hmm. and the kind of fucked up thing is i think the two people who are getting the most backlash from this is uh, uh this random ellen o and then um this other person i don't know ll something kinney i i believe yeah um, ll mckinney She's Ella McKinney. Yeah, she was one of the first um, black authors to come out with criticism, just like simple criticism. Yeah, and apparently they, uh, or at least Ella McKinney, I think, just said, uh, "Hey, this this seems a little, you know, fucked up. You might want to, uh, you know, take another look at it." I don't think they ever called on her to, to you know, no. self cancel the book. Yeah. Um, but then she did. So th- there's this, and then now they're getting the blame for it, even though they didn't. They didn't call for that, and and it could possibly be that these other people who are more fixated on trying to, uh, you know, uh, portray Zhao as this a like, crazy lady who is gonna, you know, st- 
pull like uh, like some kind of like reverse Annie Wilkes in which she, as the author, would go after her readers and like break their ankles or something for leaving a bad <laughs> review. These people, these people are now letting those women take the fall. Yeah. Um, right. And because, you know, like Jesse Single, whom I, I have no, I have very little idea who this guy is. All I know is that like, he, I think he writes like anti-trans stuff. That, that's all. He that's does. My very, yeah, that's, you know, that's uh, so, why, you know, even though I think his tablet article on this particular topic um, was not as bad, like I see his name and I, I just get a bad taste in my mouth. I don't really take anything he writes at uh, face value just because yeah, he's mean, a trans, he's a transphobe. Yeah, I think on the surface, it doesn't seem bad. But once you look at what actually happened, um, I feel like he's taking a narrative um, and uh, creating like a different story than what actually happened in bad faith. Because right. I, I, right. I didn't read his article, but I did see somebody post that he made, he, he wrote all this stuff ostensibly to protect one woman of color, but he did so in a way that um, called out that woman of color and called out these other two women of color so by name so that they would be harassed right. to no end online. Yeah. Uh, Jess, you read that, uh, you said you read that Jesse Single piece on, on the tablet, which uh, I haven't read. I don't know if you guys have read, but you, uh, could you just tell us what that piece is for all the people who haven't read it? Uh, yeah, so uh, it was written by Jesse Single, who uh, I want to start with that because the author himself has been embroiled in um, a few uh, controversies himself, uh, particularly for being in alignment with, you know, uh, being sympathetic to, uh, you know, alt-right and alt-right adjacent viewpoints concerning, you know, LGBTQ uh, issues and women's issues. So, uh, so his angle, um, so I read the article without really knowing, knowing much about either the, the, the controversy he was writing about or the author is the person. So I kind of just had to take it at face value at first. Um, and I, and I, and even after knowing, um, uh, what's going on, I think it still does raise a few important questions, uh, whether his take on them should be the final take is that is, that's. That's what I feel is under question. So the piece basically details a history of this uh, of the Zhao controversy on Twitter, starting with the Whisper campaign that uh, Zhao was compiling lists of you know haters to I don't like I don't like uh, go on some campaign against them later or something. It was implied, um, and then from there uh, it quickly snowballed into a, a, a very uh, into a, a detailed critique of her work, uh, specifically. Uh, scenes depicting, you know, tropey usage of a uh, black reading character and uh, depiction of slavery, uh, in particular, a scene at a, a slave auction in, that happens in the book. Um, there was a minor charge of like plagiarism from Tolkien. I don't think that's a valid. Yeah, there was one. some weird stuff around plagiarism too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just gonna dismiss that out of hand as just kind of, it, it's just lint with the laundry um <laughs> well i mean okay tolkien took a lot of passages from the bible so it's like if you're paraphrasing yeah. you know like a parable <laughs> then technically yeah i guess you're you know plagiarizing tolkien but he kind of did it first so fuck him yeah so i'm not gonna i'm really not gonna buy that she ripped off a line from one of the most canonical works of fiction ever and expected to get away with it you, you know like it's just it's not yeah it's not real. 
I was going to say at this point, the Lord of the Rings is as old as the Bible itself. So, you know, I think the copyright <laughs> might, might have run out by now. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, yeah. I mean, if you're going to say that you're, uh, you know, every fantasy novel could be ripping off from Tolkien, right? So, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's nonsense. Anyway. Yeah. So, that one, I'm just going to come out hard and say, I don't give a shit about that one. That's not real. Um, the uh, So, it, it, you know, he goes through the controversies, all the actors involved, um, I thought it was unusual that he left, you know, the names of the people he was pointing a finger at there. Um, but I didn't really understand quite you know, the significance of it until later when these people were saying, well, he left it there so we could get targeted for harassment. And I think that's a serious, mm-hmm. that's a serious consideration that he might not, that he either did it willfully or just was, you know, callous about the effects. Uh, it seems malicious. Um, to frame it in the way he did, uh, because he definitely was framing it as a Twitter, you know, a nonsense social justice warrior, uh, PC culture gun amok um, campaign against this uh, this uh, innocent little Asian girl uh, who was just trying to get her book sold and just got simply too popular with the wrong, you know, too popular with the popular girls uh, to be allowed a foothold in this uh, really catty dramatic right. industry. Um. You know, and then the I do think that he did raise some points that should get some consideration, uh, which is uh, she was, you know, he goes through the controversies from start to finish, including her apology, in which she says she she apologizes for the insensitive depiction of slavery, uh, but also tries to clarify by saying, uh, well, you know. I was actually trying to write about slavery in a different, in a completely different context, specifically modern day slavery going on in China. Um, right. Like indentured servitude or something. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there is a, you know, what, if you want to believe that or not, that's a different issue. Uh, the, the question on the table is, you know, given the dominance of, uh, you know, that the dominant narrative in the United States is definitely going to revolve around, you know, on the, it's going to be on the white black relations axis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's given how, you know, dense and, and traumatic and long of a history that is, I think it absolutely deserves all the room. It, it, it all the room it gets. Um, but there is also a, a concern there that, uh, centering that so overwhelmingly might have unintended consequences in shutting out different perspectives from different contexts uh, for the, yeah, for the crime that... of being somewhat similar in uh, somewhat similar to, you know, issues that are being uh, that are being discussed and uh, dealt with in uh, in uh, the African-American community. Um, so, um, yeah, that's if, we're, true. if we're talking about a fictionalized mean, context, uh, like slavery, really, uh, I mean, it would probably evoke, you know, African slavery here. Uh, that might not be the case elsewhere. So is, but again, the book is being published in the United States in English. So yeah. you know, uh, how but much weight you want to like, give to all that? That's that's up for debate. But I also think that like the way that she, in the exact nature that she depicted the, the scene, like how could it not be? Uh, seen as uh, evoking, you know, uh, American slavery because it's literally a white person uh, and a black person, and the black and it's a slave auction, and then the black person uh, is set free and immediately turns around to sacrifice their life to help the white person. So you know, a slave auction with a black person in a you know book for an American audience, how is that not like how could that not be seen in that context? 
Okay, but but hey, let, let's take a step back here because I think we're getting too deep into the actual plot of the book. I think the bigger question is who cares, right? I mean, there are a lot of stories that are fucked up in, in race and all that, but why, like, I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie director or, or a writer or what, or playwright or whatever come out and just, like, self-cancel themselves. Oh, that's so true, I think the yeah. bigger que- the, so the bigger question is, why does this matter? And I think, personally, yeah. uh, collectively as Plan A, we know this matter because, you know, what's our most read article? What's our most listened to podcast? Without divulging numbers, it has to do with YA. It has to do with what we wrote and said about To All the Boys I've Loved Before. And I think it's because there is this collective realization that uh, YA matters because the sad truth is most, uh, like Americans, kind of stop reading after high school. Like their peak in their literacy and um, dare I say maybe even intellectual curiosity kind of peaks in those years. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to reach them and, and instill some very... Um, uh, some very important ideas about how you know society and culture and race and gender work. You got to reach them before they graduate high school, because once they get to college, they they may never really pick up another book again, except maybe another like YA novel, whatever. And uh, but the thing is, you know, literature has you know historically been <laughs> very catty, whether it's like old white guys like Gore Vidal or Norman Mailer and Tom Wolfe. So, so the industry itself is tends to uh, rely a lot on just kind of like, you know, backstabbing and, and rumor mongering and stuff like that. But I do think there is some truth to, the, to this thing that, you know, YA is a battlefield and it's precisely because of who, whom it's aimed at. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why, uh, like, you see the kind of um, anger over, uh, you know, certain like representational matters in YA that you don't even see in film, I think. Like, I mean, we see that a lot in, in film, but I don't think it reaches... It doesn't have the kind of like consequence that it does in YA, and you know th- this does involve like like an Asian American, and I mean what what she wrote about is not uh, Asian. I mean she one of her quotes she specifically said uh, she didn't want to write about like you know a fictional China because she didn't want to be boxed in, which I think is a little messed up, but you know whatever for now. Um, well, I mean on I that one, like I, I I'll just jump in. I I, I know I'm I know I'm cutting you off, but just real quick on that one. No, no, no please. Uh, go ahead. I I I saw that one, and uh, I can see both sides to that one, honestly. Because um, we all know, you know, we all know white comes in many flavors, and one of them is definitely making a person of color, uh, boxing them into whatever context this white person feels they should be talking in, right? So I, I understand the I understand the urge to not want to be boxed in, um, but it's also then why did you go to like fictional Russia to uh, to set you know to stage your characters right like it, that kind of reinforces the baseline assumption that white is a default it's a you know raceless cultureless politic you know not politically uh, charged uh, context that can be mined for stories. Uh, and I've, I have a problem with that sort of thinking too. Um, so it's a tough, it's a really freaking tough position to be in right. as an, as it an is, author, absolutely. I think. Could she go to like a fictionalized Africa? I don't think she'd be allowed to. Right. right. So, I, so I do have sympathy there and I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to dig too deep into that psychologist because I know there's just so many contradictory boxes that, that she could, that she gets crammed into just by nature of who she is. Um, and it's doubly unfair that, you know, uh, like white authors don't suffer, for, don't have to struggle through this. Um, I, I, there's more and more backlash about appropriation, but, you know, uh, there just wouldn't like the charge would never be for them to stay, you know, like you're whites, so you have to write about. 
I just feel like if she, yeah, okay, she can write about Russia, but why if she's writing about slavery in China, even using a metaphor of slavery in Russia, does she have to make the slaves darker? That wasn't、right. the case in Russia. I don't think that's the case in China. And if、right. you're using that, it, it just seems like you are subconsciously maybe using black slavery in America as a trope. I mean, it's a global phenom. It's it's a global trope、um, at this point、um, that the person you know on a on col you know oh, now we're talking about colorism and this you can see across the globe now you know darker like uniformly darker people have a worse time in media than lighter skinned people.、Um, yeah, it's freaking. It's it, it's pretty. Yeah, if you're black and you're in a、phenomenon. story, you should you should be a little worried. Um, right, and also it's like it's such a global phenomenon. Like her being from China, like that doesn't excuse her from not being aware of this. Right. Yeah, definitely. And she's been here long enough in America to know. Okay. So something I want to point out,、uh, though, is that okay. So it it seems like like once again, an Asian person is getting used by all sides right, as right. as kind of a punching bag. Okay. So you've got yeah, you've go got like the Jesse、yeah. the Jesse single. Um, and then、uh, our our source, we we were making him or her sound like Deep Throat, but、uh, this person uh, uh, sent me this uh, uh, podcast called Quillette.、Um, you know, I think it's a Canadian podcast. I'm not sure. I think it's kind of like this libertarianish、uh, podcast, but、uh, but it it had on oh cat, Quillette、uh, alone、Rosenfeld. is its own like that that that's a much more complicated <laughs> discussion. So、uh, they're one of these、uh, free speech people. Okay. Okay. That's all I really need to know. Yeah. Are they like Reason dot com? Are they like one of these people? Yeah, but like, yeah, but like, Quillette wears like two fedoras. You know, like it's it's just it's that <laughs> and some more.、Um, <laughs> two fedoras. Yeah, it's a look. I tell you.、Um, uh, yeah. So. So they had on. I, I just listened to a short podcast they had with Cat Rosenfield, who wrote those vulture pieces、right. attacking YA Twitter.、Uh, so now,、uh, I guess on this side that really wants to tear down this whole social justice warrior identity、yeah. politics crowd, Zhao has become their like Joan of Arc type of figure. <laughs> oh God! And then,、uh, and and on on that actual side, the whole like you know social justice,、uh, you know, crowd. She's now become. I think kind of like the archetypal sellout Asian woman,、uh, mm-hmm. because there's this whole drama that happened last year, apparently, in which、um, this writer、uh, Rebecca Quang, who wrote the Poppy Wars, said something about her book not being YA, which I think was perceived by certain people in the YA community、uh, as a diss to the genre, because YA as a genre does get uh, dissed uh, as you know not having real merit. Which you know I've read some YA novels. I will say there's some. Merit to that、uh, allegation, but you know, like, all, like、uh, you know, there is, but there is racism and、uh, sexism within the literary establishment, obviously, in which you know things that men write are always held to be more serious than what women write.、Uh, so I think some people took that as demeaning the YA genre. So then this notable、um, YA writer, I think it was Justina Ireland. I'm not sure. I don't want to like. Uh, you know, throw out false names, but I think it was her. I don't know who she is. I only know of her because of all this drama.、Uh, she said something. I think like, oh, you know, typical like Asian woman. You're not one of us anyway. Women of color, of course, you'd sell out, sell us out like that. 
And this is when uh, Zhao jumped in and said, had this tweet where it's like, Asian women are women of color, Asian women are women of color. You know those types of tweets where they like say the same yeah. thing over and over again? And I remember mm-hmm. seeing that and being like, I have no idea what's being talked about right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is going <laughs> So So the speculation now is that because she said that, um, a lot of the YA community, especially the women of color, I guess the non-Asian or not even like some even I think Asian women who want to ally with the the kind of like black and Latina dominated women of color uh, factions had it out for her because she said something like that and this is them like taking revenge on her so I think some people are, are jumping on on that then um, I, I I stumble upon this tweet by um, you know, Will Meneker of you know Chapo Trap House fame and he was he was like saying what the fuck is going on and I, one of the funnier tweet replies was this guy uh, Sads Mickelson he said. Can't believe that 40-year-olds who exclusively read fantasy novels for children have wild, weird life priorities. So it's like everybody jumping in and uh, uh, making this Asian woman um, either falsely propping her up as representing their beliefs, which she probably doesn't. She, she's probably just like trying to write a book or attacking her as symbolic of, you know, the, the sellout, racial sellout Asian. And I think that's that's how, you know, it, it came to my interest. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's it, I, I have, um, you know... I, We've talked about what, you know, Zhao actually wrote, and, and I find that, you know, bad and worthy of criticism and something that, um, you know, as much as it's her fault for writing it, you know, it's how many layers of uh, of editors and, and sensitivity readers, if they had any, did that have to go through, um, you know, to get sort of into the uh, the advanced reading copy, which is which would be the yeah. published copy. Somebody and said so it's that like, if okay, it was a... Somebody said that if it was a bestseller or if it was slated to be, the president of the company would have read it. Right, right. So it's a, so part of me is like, oh, yeah, I mean, we should criticize her for that. But then when you look at the nature of the criticism and who is going after her for different reasons, you're like, this isn't really about her, right? She's sort of a proxy or the latest beachhead in a much broader battle for the soul of like young adult you know, fiction and everything that means. <laughs> and really, if yeah, young and adult because is if young adult is the main moneymaker of the industry, it's basically for the future of the industry. It is that the future of the industry, and also just the future. Um, as as Oxford was pointing out, uh, you know, the future. Um, what what the youth of America sees as representation and how it's represented and how they see sort of all these different races and, and, and these different issues and how they're framed. So part of me feels like, oh my God, like this woman, uh, uh, Zhao, is she's being attacked by these uh, by, by white women uh, on one side to try to be seen as like crazy. And she's being attacked on, which, which to me has no merit. And then, and then she's being criticized maybe in ways that are a little zealous, but to me, hold a lot more weight from the the black and Latina side of, um, you know, young adult fiction who are saying, look, you know, you need to be, you need to do better uh, at representing certain things. And, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, what, what can you say against that? But then someone like Jesse Singal jumps in to basically, you know, adjudicate as a white male um, and say, look, you know, how dare you white women uh, try to take down this woman of color, and plus, you know, all the other people are just crazy as well. So I, it it all gets really tangled, and uh, you know, I I don't know how to really feel about it other than damn, this is messy. 
Okay, a, a couple of things to say, Mark. Going off of what you said about the the industry, our our, our source. <laughs> I feel so funny saying that. Our source said that, like, she was specifically uh like targeted by her agent because like uh I think that publishing house was specifically looking for diverse voices. But when they say diverse voices, you know they're looking for a certain type. And a lot of us, we always wonder, like, why is it that when Asian or especially like or even just like minority voices get published or get their movies made or anything that is especially in like the kind of hand-picked cultural industries they all seem to uh you know be the same in certain ways they, they all have like the same blind spots or whatever and, and it is like a product of the system i don't like the argument that if like if a minority fucks up you gotta blame the producers or the directors or like the presidents uh but you know the um there is there is an element of truth in which like these people do get selected for a reason. Uh, this is not just some uh, gloriously a uh, frictionless free market of artistic ideas in which the best idea just happens to get uh, promoted. No, there are people out there looking and hunting and picking for certain ideas. And then another thing I want to say is where the hell are like you know the you know there are a lot of people out there. Uh, there was like an article uh, I think maybe a couple of months ago in the New York Times in which like Celeste Ng came out and said, I am a defender of like Asian women writers and stuff. Where the fuck are these people? Like at the very least, shouldn't you give some benefit of the doubt to like a fellow Asian women writer, even if, you know, she might have some problems? Because hey, remember the whole Celeste Ng thing happened? She wasn't totally innocent either. She fucked up too. But everyone just like circled wagons around her and said, well, you know, people can make mistakes. Well, whatever. So what this tells me is there's certain acceptable targets and there are unacceptable targets. If your target is, say, like other Asians, especially like Asian men, then, uh, you know, you, you can do whatever the fuck you want. But here, there's like some questionable thing that might have fringed upon, uh, like, I don't think she even explicitly said, uh, I don't know, because none of us have ac- actually looked at the book. Uh, so going on based on tweets, apparently the, 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 the slave character was described as like Tawny, which, uh, which you know, I guess means darker skinned. With blue um, eyes. That's all we're going... It's, With blue eyes, really? Yeah, like startling aquamarine eyes. Oh, oh. So, so basically, Steph Curry. So Steph Curry, I guess. Huh? <laughs> so, um, so, but just fr- just touching your toes on that, and then I see no real Asian, like high figure blue check Asian type sticking up for her. Yeah, and it's like what the fuck, right? Yeah, right. They were they were on yeah. the side of shutting her down. So right, you know right. that this this yeah. this support is contingent on a lot of different things. Exactly, um, like a- Asians, and and I want to say this. I think a lot of uh, Asian guys think that you know Asian women are bulletproof because uh you know the because they're more accepted in white society. We see how conditional this is. Yeah, right? I mean, there's enough questionable, uh, there's enough question and murkiness around this, especially since most people involved have not even seen the work, right? Right. Um, if you're if you're on if you're on the record saying I'm an advocate for specifically Asian women authors, you know, or you know, women of color who are you know in these creative spaces, there was enough to to warrant some support to say, hey, you know, like I'll suspend judgment, like Ed, I, I'm gonna just some kind of support. It doesn't have to mean like I'll fucking murder the family of anyone who says shit about right. that. <laughs> uh, but it's, I'll go it's for simply their ankles. <laughs> like like I can like the dynamics of seeing you know a collective uh, a, a, a like a uh, a community like this um, that reads white go against a woman of color like this a new author etc. Uh, there's something troubling in that, and I just want to say for the moment I'm you know whatever I'm. You know, like, here, okay, look, why am I writing this for you? You guys are the writers, right? Like, 
uh, I shouldn't be, you, there should be a way to support people, uh, based on, based on this, if that's what you say you're about. Uh, but th- so this conditionality of support means you have to be a, a certain type of person, be towing a certain ideological line and see, you have to know that if you break from that, you're fucking thrown to the wolves. You have no one in your fucking corner. And it, it's basically saying, like, Asians will never, ever lead a charge. The only time we ever show up is when everybody else has, you know, has locked their shields or, you know, bracing for, like, the charge. And then we'll come in when everyone else is set up. But we will actually never be the first ones out there because there's a risk that nobody else will be behind us. And we're, we're like, too cowardly yeah. to actually do that. And actually, one of the and things that was interesting to me about this one is that um, there were there were Asian faces on both side of this, sides of this. And that's what actually made me like pause and, and, and take stock. Mm-hmm. So I do respect, um, you know, as much as uh, so like, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it's okay to actually say your tw- Ellen O. Uh, she was mm-hmm. one of the critics of Zhao. Uh, I think she, you know, in looking, I, I read, I came across this whole thing via the single article, which painted her as a giant bully. You know, I went back and looked at it. It's actually a much more nuanced, more reasoned critique than that, and far gentler than he had made it out to be. Um, right. So, and honestly, you know, I'll, I'll give her a lot of credit as, you know, for me at least, being an Asian woman, seeing an Asian face on that side of the, of the critique actually, like, galvanized my thinking on this too. Uh, as if it were just all, you know, a white crowd on one side and Amelie Zhao on the other. Um, I, like, there's no way you could tell me that this isn't, I'm, I'm just going to be putting on my brass knuckles, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to be sitting right. reasoning this out. It's, but, so it's, it's roof Korean time. There you go. Um, so it's like, so we need more people who are willing to speak up, um, regardless of which side you are on. If you are, if you are pros out, uh, or you want to show, like, show your damn support. And likewise, on the other side, if you have a reason, a well-reasoned critique, um, you should say that too, because chances are people are out there and they're looking and they are looking to these signifiers to help guide, you know, who they can trust in this atmosphere. It can't just all be, you know, a white on white proxy war with an Asian face in the middle. Um, right. And that's my huge that. problem with it's Yeah. And that's my huge problem with what's going on. Yeah. So for me, yeah, like, there's like there's no Asian leadership that has stepped up. Right. And we preach all the time about, you know, a- Asian representation. We, we all have to stick together. But this is what pisses me off about Asian Americans. There is no um, recognition of like reciprocal duty. It's like they're always saying uh, they basically treat uh, Asian Americans like some kind of like financial safety net. Like, oh, if all else fails, if like nobody else shows up to our, you know, shitty art project or something, at least the Asians will show up. And you better show up because, uh, because, because. There, there's no real reason given out. But as soon as there's some reciprocal duty that's uh, asked for, then they pull out the, um, well, you would never ask a white person to do this. Why, why ask an Asian to do that? Why ask an Asian to stick out their neck for you when you wouldn't ask a white person to? Because you asked us to come out to your fucking movie or whatever. <laughs> so, Yeah. And in this one, it was interesting because it is, you know, it does revolve around a depiction of blackness, right? Or a questionable depiction of blackness and, you know, a depiction of slavery. So this, um, so this galvanized, you know, um, the African-American members of the YA community to, to speak up against Zhao. And that's their right. You know, that's, they should be calling that out. Um, and I'm not saying like, 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 like they should have just supported Zhao as a person of color. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, they were absolutely right to do that. But there just simply was so much 
ambiguity around it um that a little support on Zhao's side could have been, would have been nice um that's that's literally it and i and ultimately given you know given what i've learned in the days since uh it looks like it was legit problematic um that it was a uh, a tone deaf at best um and not uh it, it was not a great it was not necessary for one thing it was it was kind of tropey it was cliche it was a hackneyed use of a very old uh trope uh it just had no reason to be there um so sure like like so i, I buy that i think that it's more telling that um nobody spoke up uh when the white women were criticizing her when it was more um confusing yeah, and people didn't know what happened because i i think if it is about slavery and is it is about the black experience if a black author if a black woman says this is racist we should listen to that so i don't feel like oh you know like all these authors yeah, sure. you know these blue checks should have read the material and to be like oh whatever you know like like this to me seems anti-black like we don't have you know the experience to speak on that as well as a black author and i think we should listen to that the problem is when she was being attacked by white women all these white people the only person to speak up for her was jesse single like really <laughs> yeah and no not exactly only that, the the he then he basically used her to attack um lno and and uh, was it laura mckinney ll mckinney yeah, yeah. And also you know an asian woman and a black woman respectively so an ideological it's another shot fired in the ideological war against these uh you know sjw's right these social justice warriors who want to a fascist takeover of you know american thought I don't want to be pessimistic, but now let's imagine that Zhao releases her book, like say six months from now. I, who's to say it's not going to be tagged as, uh, you know, like what if, like say, like a Jordan Peterson endorses that book, saying, "Guys, buy this book because by buying it, you're going to win the war against the SJWs." That oh pretty much tanks Zhao's career, right? Or uh, at least her book, right? So. Well, I mean, now it's going to get rewritten. So I think it's so now it's kind. She was just picked on Twitter by these white agents looking for a diverse voice. We all know they pick a certain type. Like, why is it so important for her to have a career? I think there's a deeper question. There's a deeper attack going on here. Like, this is this is a symptom of it. I think the reason it catches so much attention is that what young adult literature uh, is so organized at the grassroots level. Like we talk, there's definitely you know, cherry picking going on by an elite, you know, you know, by an elite, uh, like, like the powers that be inside that industry, like we talked, like the ones who selected Zhao to begin with. But it's such a small and dense community that it's it's one of the few out there that has no choice but to listen to its its followers because they are so tightly organized and they are so mobilized. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's yeah. crowdsourced. It, it it's crowdsourced in a way that like TV, you know, movies, Hollywood, that whole industry just isn't right. Um, and I think there's right. there's a power have, in yeah. that. So as much as we're criticizing the powers that be for selecting perhaps a uh, a problematic person to lead the the charge in diversifying uh, stories and and authors, um, there is still a lot of power in the fact that the uh, the outcry against her was able to stop this book from being published. Right? There's a lot of power to that. Uh, and I think the 
So I think when we're talking about single or, you know, these libertarian alt-right people who have picked up on this story, what they're actually crit criticizing has, has nothing to do with this. It's talking about the, a deeper, a deeper fear of mass power, right? What if everything could be mediated and controlled, uh, by, you know, by a critical mass of mobilized people on the ground? Because ultimately the single piece was saying this, this backlash was undeserved. You know, we, nobody even, people didn't even get to read it. Uh, so, you know, so what's the solution there? Release a potentially problematic thing, you know, retrench, you know, the power, the powerful elite in their positions to be able to dictate what people get to see, read and hear and think. And the only response we, the only power we have is to just kind of be pissy about it and then move on. Right. This is a fundamental disruption of that power structure that's top down. Uh, like select voices were cherry picked from the bottom and elevated up and then their shit rolls back down the cliff, right? Like th that's, the, that's what they're advocating for is a return to retrenched power. Uh, and that's the challenge here that, that that's being, that's, that's being, uh, that attention. That's why I think this particular controversy has generated so much attention. It's the legit fear that these, uh, that these people who are typically consumers, like there's only like consumer and producer, right? That's, that's a binary. Uh, young adult literature has the, is muddling that line. These authors are crowdsourced from, you know, the masses and then their works are reviewed widely. Uh, and now with this, we find that, you know, before a work is released, uh, it has the potential, like this, this, this group has enough power to shut it down. That's, that's actually significant. Oxford, you pointed out that, you know, uh, like there is, like, where else do you see that? Yeah, and not only that, but the power base that is fueling this tends to be largely female. Um, and, you know, they are very, like, progressive leaning, at least in their uh, social politics. And, and just, you know, just like judging from, you know, the kind of like insults that are thrown on them on Twitter, I think there's a stereotype that, you know, why Twitter is all comprised of like these 40 year old, like, cat ladies or future cat ladies. And they're all like, uh, obsessed with you know kind of like you know junior prom or something or, or the fact that they never got asked out so they're like endlessly writing about this either through like fan fiction or YA uh, in which uh, you know you got the like unrealistic you know Mary Sue character whom like has like three hot guys who are just like all over her for no good reason I mean like Twilight was was you know the the uh, you know the like shining example of this type of story so you can you know see why there would be so much uh, resentment and ridicule of, of a perceived uh, power base consisting of a demographic like that. Yeah, but that's just the yeah. stereotype. I mean, isn't that kind of yeah. a yeah, gender of war a between yeah. white women and white men? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty yeah, much. I think a lot of this uh, has, you know, a lot of it has to, I mean, I think a lot of things can be looked at through the lens that this is basically a, a white civil war. <laughs> uh, whether <laughs> yeah. you look at uh, whether you look at politics, I mean, to me, uh, I, I mean, this is a totally different topic, but, you know, you look at the whole, um, uh, like, uh, and the split of Demogra uh, Democratic Party, uh, if you, like, really zoom out, obviously, they're, like, you know, black socialists or, like, you know, Asian socialists, whatever. Really, uh, to me, it does seem just like kind of like a, you know, white civil war. <laughs> um, so I think this, yeah, this could uh, be, be a part of that. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a white ideological war. Um and uh i actually have no problem throwing a bone into that fight right like <laughs> uh that's that's fine with me uh the problem is a again uh using using people of color um as 
shields. Like we saw this in the Harvard lawsuit, right? Uh, Asians are just ripe for this, this kind of, I think it's a kind of systematic abuse, uh, being used as, as a shield or a front. Uh, Zhao took all the arrows, right? Like her publisher, nobody is getting that much heat, not as much heat as the author herself. They're fine. Right. It's just this author and her career at stake. They lost nothing. They got a whole bunch of notoriety. They lost nothing. In yeah, the I don't end. even know who the publisher is. It's probably like Scholastic or something. But I, I, yeah. You know, or sub- I think it's a subsidiary. Like a, it's a specific subsidiary of Scholastic. Uh, but they're fucking fine. It's just her that they were they they just set her out to take all of the arrows uh, like there's no culpability on, on the, I don't see that much culpability, be, not too many fingers are being pointed back to the publisher that let this all happen. Right. So the warning, so, so the thing I would, I would probably say is, you know, is be freaking careful. Like there is, a, you can sell out like, but really like you can be the victim, right? You may not have succeeded, uh, qu- quite as much as you thought, as you think you have. Right. Like being elevated by these. You need to be careful. You need to be very careful because you are all alone up there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think ultimately, you know, I because initially I was very upset that she um, actually decided to self-cancel. But now obviously learning about what she actually wrote and, and the, the real nature of what was going on or more of the nature of what was going on, it was probably a smart move for her. And it was, but it was something that should never have been necessary because it never should have gotten to this point. Um, so, you know, it, and it just, uh, the whole, basically like everyone is saying here that it's, you know, we're Asians as usual are being used as a shield by, you know, the white powers that be to sort of try to, to fend off, um, you know, the black, the black people and, and, and Latinos and, and LGBTQ in that black white binary that uh, race uh, you know, that races in in America, um, yeah, I, I don't have any answers to, to that, uh, but it, it I just sucks to be in that position. Uh, uh, Ju- Justin, Diana, <clears throat> I, wait, wait, uh, Just, do you wanna do you wanna jump in there? I I mean, well, it's, whoever said I do was that you? Diana? Oh yeah, that was that was me. But I, I'm mostly being a smartass. I kind of I hated that you called me on that. Um, now I gotta actually have some answers. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no, I had a, I had a legit question uh, yeah, for Jess yeah. and Diana. Like the thing that really um, interested me about one of the things that most interested me about the story is this whole idea that Asian women aren't women of color. Um, oh God! Like, have you yeah. have you heard that in your personal lives? And um, if so, how'd you deal with it? Or even if you haven't, obviously this idea floats around kind of in the whole social arena. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've never heard that in my personal life. I've heard that on Twitter, like, oh, like Asians aren't people of color in general. I've never heard Asian women specifically aren't people of color. Uh, but I, I can kind of see that, you know, like just just uh, sociologically, like across the board, you know, it seems like especially with um the Kavanaugh thing with Amy Chua and just like there's a lot of high profile Asian women that sell out for Asian or sorry for the white patriarchy specifically so I can kind of see that but I think that's more of a media projection than what actually happens in real life for most Asian women um I I have heard that um I've had that leveled at me um before 
Um, so, and that's a, that's a tricky one because this is a conflation of race and class. I think that's the equation that renders a, you know, Asian women, uh, to not be people of color. And I find that I, 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 while I can understand where they're coming from, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, uh, dangerous equation to keep, uh, to apply at a large scale. Yeah. Because it's implying that if, uh, you, reach a certain class, uh, I know it's a messy definition, but some combination of like, it's education, income, family background, um, you know, presentation, that you suddenly, you know, aren't, you know, you've ascended your race, right? And that, and that really just means white, right? So when they say, you know, Asians aren't people of color, they're really just saying Asians are kind of white. I don't think it's all just a class thing, because um, isn't the one of the main reasons that we are able to ascend class-wise because of our race? Yeah, I think so, and that's uh, and that's that's part of that equation too. Um, so it's it's that we're sliding across all of like uh, we're like skirting the edges of borders, right? And some are able to you know uh, switch sides because we're just so close to the border anyway. Uh, in term in this in the racial class matrix, um, to me it, it, it so yes to to answer that I do think it's it, it is a question of class, uh, and that's mediated by the fact that uh, by virtue of our race we were positioned to be able to ascend into these class brackets uh, the way we do in a way that uh, African American Latino uh, other marginalized people uh, aren't able to access. Um, the thing is, this is also internalized by Asian Americans ourselves. I mean, the thing, this idea that Asian women aren't really women of color, they're almost like either like semi-white women or like, you know, like, like, you know, just, or, or practically white women is, uh, is something that some Asian guys do uh, say because of, you know, say the high rates of intermarriage between white men and Asian women. And then on the other hand, I see a lot of... Uh, Usually, like these, like you know, kind of like Asian liberal activist, mainstream activist types, mm. always equating Asians, but implicitly, I think it's more like immigrant Asians and Asian men, um, uh, and poor with Asians, white people. Let's, because let's face it. Um, hmm? So we don't need to really beat around the bush. All of us here on this call have probably been on a phone conference or something, and like there mm. was somebody talking, <laughs> and later you find out they're Asian, and you're like, "Holy shit, you were Asian all along." <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's uh, even weird. It's even weirder. You, you mean like in a, in a business setting? Yeah. Huh? Or what? I, like like? You mean like in a business? So it's Just it's definitely setting, a right? thing we've internalized. There's a lot of us who have internalized that, um, especially if you do you know go through you know a formal education, all of that. You're in a you know white white collar profession. Uh, there's a lot of that going on, right? So we we adopt that. Well, but I'm talking about not the people who've like internalized it and, and embraced it. I'm talking about the people who've internalized it, but now are ashamed of it and are now trying to push it off on like another Asian group to prove that, uh, well, it might be like, um, you know, older Asians or Asian men or Asian women who are close to the whiteness. But my like subgroup within Asians, we were actually woke. We're actually part of the, you know, POC alliance. And you see that a lot. And I, I see that, um, being pushed uh, by various groups. Because whenever, you know, like anti-blackness, you know, we all know that's a problem in the Asian American community. But the problem I have with it is that every time an Asian says that oh, we Asians are so anti-black, the implicit message is always that it's these other Asians. It's not me or my, you know, subgroup of 
educated, uh, you know, well-to-do, uh, you know, activist Asian men or Asian women. It's these other Asians. And, and you know what? They are this bad. And you can talk shit about them as being white wannabes um, without ever, uh, you know, putting their own skin in the game. Uh, even though, you know, like you can't ever escape being Asian. But I think to them, they think that if they keep saying this enough, that people will recognize them as like one of the good ones. I mean, isn't that exactly the same thing that people like Asians who want to ascend to whiteness do to like be white? It's like exactly the same thing. They're just like trying to distance themselves from their ethnic identity to glom on to this like new group or this other group. Yeah, that's very true. And that well, you, you can't ever say it. That's the thing that's tricky here because you would never, there's never been a social context uh, where it would be, you know, okay uh, for, uh, let's say in this case, uh, an Asian person to stand up and just say, I want to be white, right? There is a facade that needs to be played. There is a needle that, that, that people need to thread here where you walk a very fine line. You have to be just ethnic enough and just white enough. And it's maddening because you can't say it, so those rules are not explicit. So I think this is this is the crazy making part of this hybrid identity creation. It's this it's this need to be just enough of everything. Everyone needs to front ethnic pride. That's you just have to. <laughs> You, like, right, what are you right. going like, to stand in, in front of a, a room of white, like, board members and be like, I so fucking want to be you guys. I love that beer gut. I, I just love this shit that, you, that you're rocking. <laughs> right. Like, what whiskey are you drinking? I want that. You know, you, you cannot say that. You ha So if called upon or in a situation like that, you have to. And it, I think this is an instinct that people all have. And it's a it's it's the right one. You do need to mm. present as centered in who you are. Right. Yeah. Nobody will respect you if you just baldly proclaim your allegiance to something that is totally alien to you and that actually historically right. is, you know, you've been subjugated and, to. Right. Like, and that doesn't just go that. like minority to white, right? I mean, if a white person is like, I don't want to be white, I really want to be black. You know, no one, no one uh, respects that person either. So like, it's not nobody just respects a tryhard. You, it's like, yeah, exactly. You know, if you're too obvious, it's but like, I think right. the the fury from other people of color are is that like we get this access that our uh, proximity to whiteness allows us, but then if something happens to us, um, they think that we have the protection of like the people of color status. In reality, oh, is we so just... like we're playing both sides of it. Yeah. yeah. So I understand the call for that. Yeah, so I understand. I part. Okay, I get that. Uh, I understand that. So I mean, I, I I can't speak to anything greater than just myself. Uh, I feel it would be inappropriate for me to put myself out there as like a disadvantaged uh, my, to claim you know the claim the solidarity and the uh, and that positioning for myself. Uh, like I do feel that I have I I do have privileges in my life. Right. So it would be bad faith on my part to present as something I'm not right to take advantage of um, very hard earned systems in place meant to boost underrepresented, marginalized, disadvantaged uh, voices out there. It would be it would be just it would not be moral for me, I feel, to take advantage of that. Like, uh, but also it would be it would it, I'm not going to stand for a white woman telling me what I am and am not right. 
Um, and this is where I, I split race and class here. Like, no, I absolutely am a person of color. I am an Asian woman. Um, whatever, whatever trappings of privilege I bring into that has nothing to do with that fundamental question. I would not put, promote myself as an under, as an unprivileged, uh, disadvantaged voice, but also I am fucking a person of, I am a person of color. There is just no argument there. Um, so this is just, this goes back to like good faith. I think that's hard for some people to wrap their minds around because like you were, you were mentioning Jess earlier is that, um, there's this almost implied, uh, uh, poverty of some category, whether it be economic or other, uh, that, that attaches itself to this concept, at least in white people's minds of what yeah. a, a person of color is. Yeah, and exactly. for someone like yourself, and I think for a lot of other people, uh, involved with plan A to be like, you know, we're not like disadvantaged in that way, but we are still people of color. We still get discriminated against. We still have racism thrown at us. And just because we're, we might be middle class or upper middle class doesn't mean we're sort of like disqualified from that. But, but it's hard for people to, to wrap their heads around. I'm sticking to just YA. Have you guys read any <clears throat> YA novels yourselves? I've tried. <laughs> I mean, I Wait, think uh, Harry so Potter is pretty much like Harry Potter. <laughs> it's like my YA. Yeah. Wait, wait. What, what's the guys? What's what's the best Harry Potter book? Oh God. Um. Everyone, everyone, say the book number uh, at the count of three. All right. I don't oh, remember. I like why. the I one actually, where they time jump. I don't actually remember. I'll, I can't like distinctly okay. recall. I don't what know the number. Can, can I say the title? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. What's the title? The Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, that was the uh, best that one. Was and, the which one. was, was three, right? Which is the third? Yeah, that's third? the third one. Yeah, that was. Uh, that's my favorite one, where they like go back in time and like whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That was okay, and tell me if you agree with this. Uh, the reason why it's the best one, A, it's the one before they, you know, every book got like obesity, you know, got obese and became like 700 pages. It, yes. was, it was the shortest book. It, it was the first book that did not hinge on some like stupid uh, juvenile contest like the House Cup or, you know, Tri Wizard Tournament or whatever. It was just about Harry uh, finding more about his family. Uh, yes. And then, um, yes. third of all, um, actually, th I think those are probably the, the two biggest reasons I liked it the most. Also, like, Harry turns into such a bitch in, like, you know, the, the fifth <laughs> book. Remember in Order of the Phoenix, emo Harry? It was like, at that point, I started uh, rooting for Dudley. I'm like, oh, Dudley, just flatten this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because I think Harry had just gotten enough into his magical power that he yeah, could and just... He, he started going could, through puberty and right. he just started being emo. But it wasn't even a contest, like, right? Like, Dudley, like... What's he going to do against magic, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, have you guys read anything besides uh, Harry Potter? That could qualify uh, the Golden Comp is Golden Compass YA? I think Golden Compass I think so, is yeah. YA, right? I, mean, I saw the movie, which was terrible, but I, uh, I know a lot of people read the books. I never the, read them. The but. books are um, controversial, the, the Golden Compass series, because uh, Chris Paul... It's an attack it on the Catholic Pol Church, right? That's yeah, it's very, very anti-Catholic Church, which made me like it. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But it got well, it was of course, of course you do. you're you're Jewish, so you you obviously. Uh, well, I'm also sort of an atheist <laughs> and like anti like religious institutions and all that. But um, so yeah, and no, he uh, and he eats compass. pork. So um, yeah, I Mark do, eats yes. pork. So and this is bad, this is a. <laughs> I'm a bad Jew. <laughs> the best I Jews. I haven't read much, but uh, our deep throat source recommended a couple. Things that oh, yeah, right. they um, like uh, most of the young doll uh, written about or by people of color are still for a white audience. But um, 
this person recommended some stuff that they like that is actually, you know, intended for for us, for Asian Americans. Uh, so they are Millicent Min, Girl Genius, and Stanford Wong Flunks Big Time by Lisa Yi. When Wait, Dimple- are those two books or is that two one books. long title? Oh, books. sorry. Those oh, are two, two books. Se- so there's Millicent okay. Min and there's Stanford Wong. And it might be a series. I don't know. But um, they're by Lisa Yi. She's an ABC. And she writes specifically for, for people like us. Woo-woo. Yeah. <laughs> um, when Dimple Met Rishi by Sandia Menon. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but... Uh, uh, another. I actually, I actually want to read this book. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Somebody. One. Of, one of our friends read it. Some. Some of the series, and he really liked it too. Uh. There's the Changer series by T. T. Cooper, who is a white man, but he is written like a really thoughtful, insightful, awesome series. And there is the Marrow Thieves by Sherry Dimmelin, and I, I guess we'll probably put. Um, yes, we will put links. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that. Yeah, I mean, like, I I haven't read a ton. I've I mean, I've, I've obviously read uh you know to all the boys I love for. I, I think everyone knows my opinion on that. Um, <laughs> if you don't go check out my article. Um, I also read uh the sun is also a star, which, uh, you know, I I um I give a lot of props to Nicola Yoon because she she's a she's a black woman. She's married to a Korean American man, and a lot. And the sun is also a star. I think is basically about their relationship if they were teenagers when they met. It's about this uh, Jamaican American girl who meets this Korean American guy, um, you know. I, and and I give her props for writing it, but I mean, I tried reading it. It's very like, you know, the type of. It feels like it appeals to the type of person who would say unironically, uh, "I'm in the, uh, I'm in love with the idea of love." So if you, uh, <laughs> you know, say stuff like that, I think you love this book. I, on the other hand, <laughs> uh, just, just found it a little too, um, a little too. Uh, uh, shall we say uh, naively romantic? Uh, but that's another one I read. I read half of the Hate You Give after I saw the movie. Um, again, uh, you know, wasn't a fan of the movie. We had a podcast about that. Um, so I think the book was probably better than the movie. I don't, I don't know. I only read half of it. So I haven't read a ton of YA. Um, you know, there's so many books to read. So I, I do want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't particularly like these books. So I, I don't want to spend too much time reading them but i do think it's important to not look down on it as a genre say it's only for little kids or you know lovesick girls or whatever the stereotype you know, we all know what the stereotypes are right i think it is important to like once in a while at least check in on what's popular why it's popular and you know just stuff like that um honestly my last foray into that was twilight like i read part of to all boys <laughs> oh wow okay yeah so that was twilight i got through one book and it's like jesus christ people are fucked <laughs> oh my god Talk about dude. i think that's oh. a particularly bad example i just heard um, that it was like really poorly written yeah like, I yeah oh my god it was terrible like, uh. yeah and it wasn't just because like the plot was weird and stupid but like just it was poorly written just yeah, it was it was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah, it's like she 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 pulled up a, th- a thesaurus to look up the words for awkward. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see, what's another one she needed a lot of uh, alternate words for? Uh, yeah, chiseled, uh, chiseled, chiseled physique. Yeah, this this uh, <laughs> she was really in love with her teenage vampire. It was kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, let's boy. see. Yeah. I'm mean, like the the new Twilight. I don't know if you guys heard. Is this book called After? It's written by this woman named Anna Todd. There's it's, another uh, you know how one. Twilight, well, like you know how Twilight started off as it was like fan was fiction, a, right? Fanfic. No, no, no. no Fifty, 50 Shades, Shades of Grey started as fan fiction for Twilight. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh my god. In, in, in yeah. that similar vein, uh, this new book. Uh, well, I don't think it's new, but this book after started as fan fiction for One Direction, but now <laughs> oh, wow. has become its own book, and apparently it's gonna turn into a Hollywood movie. And what? um, yeah. What? What? Huh? Like it's so weird. Like, but is it like a fantasy or is it just like regular? No, I think it's set. I don't know. I think it's like it, no, it's a realistic story. But mm. it's kind of like maybe like the new boy in school just happens to be a British pop star named uh, okay. um, Henry Styles or something. Henry Styles. <laughs> <laughs> Who uh, could that be, some- guys? Who could that be? <laughs> so and you know this is kind of one of the reasons I think. Um, you know, YA does have does have a bad rap. I mean, the, the, uh, it is unfair, but you know, there are certain you know instances in which there there is you know, they they don't make right. this shit. You know, up, well, you know. <laughs> I mean, also aside aside from everything we've been talking about with like uh, the controversy, it, it seems like a lot of YA fiction is fantasy and science fiction. And as a yeah, as so a, and as a science fiction and fantasy fan. Um, um, I I think that's more I, of a I I I th- I I know I've noticed that too. Um, I feel yeah, like so, that is more a matter of uh, constraint than anything okay. else. What do you mean by that? A constraint. Uh, like YA literature in particular is uh, tightly constrained by. Um, and I, I and I hate that it, that word is a ne- has a negative connotation. Let's okay. I'm, no, no, I'm just wondering that. what you mean. It's um. Yeah. YA seems to take uh, into account, uh, to a greater extent than other branches of literature or media, uh, matters mm-hmm. of ethics and representation. Okay. okay. Uh, it that community takes itself very freaking seriously, and I applaud them for that. Actually, so matters of appropriation, you know, sexism, you know, th- uh, yeah, it's like a good all thing. of that. But so, science fiction and, and fantasy has been that way for. Oh, right. So I'm talking. I'm saying. I'm saying it. The genre leans that direction, so it doesn't right. impinge too closely on real life dynamics. Uh, that uh, could okay. potentially. Okay. So to talk about certain things, you need yeah. to do it in a. Yeah. So you should. So you, you won't actually set it in like the antebellum South. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if you do, it's some sort of like uh, alternative alternative history setting. Yeah. Oh, I said in that in that respect, I think that the hate you give should you know be given props for not shying away from being so contemporary and setting it in this, you know, so, like some uh, sci-fi world where you have factions and there's obviously the <laughs> black faction, right, uh, right? Obviously white faction, obviously the Asian faction, but you know, just being like, hey, this is you know, we're gonna set it in America right now and just talk about police violence. You know, for all the flaws that book and and movie had, at least it had the guts to just set it in the now well i i also ask about it because you know i read books by uh, an author called brandon sanderson and he has books in the his sort of shared universe setting called the cosmere uh and i would say like reading them they're probably at that ya reading level which is probably like you know like 12 13 14 but i don't know whether anyone would say his books uh are ya books um so it's just interesting what's seen as young adult and what's not. Yeah, I think it's mainly probably the the characters and the setting. Uh, I mean, the language. I mean, a lot of books, a lot of like highly esteemed books are rather easy to read. I remember the first time I read The Corrections by Jonathan Franz, and I was so surprised because it was so easy to read compared oh, yeah. to the type of books I'd been reading before, especially in college where you take classes like Victorian literature or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's mainly about, do you have a young protagonist? Like, is it about them? 
like either like rebelling against an unfair system, which tends to be like the sci-fi fantasy novels, or if it's more uh, contemporary, is it about them like navigating love and relationships? And, you know, th- those are like the tropes I think of of young adult. Well, you know? it's it's just you know, so I mean, like the Brandon Sanderson books I'm talking about, the Mistborn series, the protagonist is a girl, you know, and then she's she's like the she's the chosen one hero. So it would sort of oh God, to me, feel like it one. would fit in that genre, but I don't think anyone would say it's young adult. It's just you know it's just one of those things where I, you know it's an interesting debate to have, but it's completely tangential to what we've been talking about. Yeah, uh, you guys have uh, any last thoughts on this uh, this whole like YA Twitter uh, drama as we wrap up this podcast? Uh, Diana, should we start with you? Yeah, personally, I feel like this could all just be completely irrelevant on the ground because <laughs> i mean it's it literally is like 40 year olds arguing about what 13 year olds should have access to completely disregarding that there's the internet and youtube right and like i, I just feel like like young people are probably more in tune with social issues than the people that are on like these review boards or like making these decisions and like if it if a book is shit, like they will understand that it's shit and like probably speak up and, you know, do activism against it on their own because clearly they're probably better activists, you know, who are like 15 and 16 than, than like the blue check Twitter people. Yeah. I mean, one of the funniest, I don't know if it was on Twitter or, or wherever I read it, but it said something like, uh, on Thanksgiving, I talk and, and I go back with my family. I talk YA with my smartest nieces and my dumbest aunts. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> um, uh, uh, Jess well, any last thoughts I guess uh, no not not really I guess uh, I think we covered the, the main thoughts here um, I guess it raises I guess as a whole like you know thinking ahead and looking ahead what, what, what this means for the industry where it's going at large I think there's some valid questions to be answered um, mm-hmm. in, in you know the definition of literature itself right what 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 do they mean what do they want to see right what is the purpose of literature um we talk about how problematic it is to depict slavery uh things like that uh, but that actually goes like why is that problematic right um uh it could there's there's a definite legit uh, grievance there to use it gratuitously as a plot point to elevate a problematic mm-hmm. uh a problematic you know d- plot uh, to support problematic characters doing problematic things. Um, there's also, you know, there, there also seems to be quite a bit of uh, uh, bubble wrap that people are trying to put around this genre, saying this is, this is basically a safe place for young adults. They should be shielded from this. They shouldn't have to deal with the ugliness. Like, this is not the right place to be discussing issues uh, that, are, that have that much seriousness in the real world. Which then also raises the question, then what is it for, right? This is for, this is normally targeted at a, uh, a young and developing audience. And the reason they have taken it upon themselves to litigate matters of ethics and principle in the depiction of characters and plots in these books is to be able to better prepare them for adulthood. In which case, um, is there a place for ethically sound depictions of problematic and traumatic things? Right. And this just this is a question for you know that industry and that community to, to hash out. I don't see myself as a is as a member of that. Um, but it will be interesting to keep uh, to keep an eye out on how um, 
And I think, you know, the way these things get litigated, the way these things shake out, and, you know, the ultimate works that do come out and do well or tank uh, kind of shape, you know, they kind of will be the answers to those questions. What are these pieces of literature supposed to do for who? So that's that's kind of where, where, where my head is at in looking forward. Um, as for Zhao herself, I feel bad uh, for her. I feel like she was put in an unfair position uh, by... Uh, by the people she should have been better taken care of uh, by the people who were supposed to be uh, helping her out in creating this work. I think the reaction uh, was, um, I think their lack of a proper response to protect her was uh, pretty telling of some underlying like racial politicking going on. And I think that's that that I, I, I'm not going to stand for that. That being said, I'm uh, it does. My opinion is that these there were some troubling elements in her book. I'm glad that there was criticism and uh, criticism out there. And, uh, you know, she gets the opportunity to rewrite it. You know, that's that's a big thing, too. Um, so I am looking forward to seeing what what she does. She's by no, like to me, she's by no means canceled or any any dumb you know you know spur them like emotional thing like that. Uh, I am I'm I'm hoping she comes out ahead on this in a way that supports her and the you know the community she is supposed to serve as well. Yeah, Jess, you're like oh I, I got no insights and five minutes of piercing insights. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, yeah. uh, why don't you close us off? Um. You know, I I very much agree with a lot of what just just said, and I think the um, you know, like we were mentioning before about how this is, uh, you know, another example in or another battle in the in the in the war of um, sort of the establishment saying, you know, people pipe down, you know, we're going to tell you what's good for you, and then you know, people sort of quote unquote the mob saying, no, we're going to you know, we're going to take. Uh, the power into our own hands. This is another example of sort of that struggle. Um, I don't know quite where I fall in terms of uh, what's right or wrong or, or where I, I fall on that. I, I have sympathies or, um, you know, I understand both sort of points to that because I would hate to do something myself and then be sort of shamed by, you know, public opinion. Um, but, you know, it, the YA genre uh, is an important genre. Uh, and, um, you know, we need to think of it seriously because it is really where um, a lot of ideological viewpoints and what's going to be allowed and not allowed um, will be litigated. So, um, you know, uh, that's it. Yeah, I just have two quick things to say. Well, first is like, where are all the the Asian like so-called leaders on this? I, you know, if you're against her, then say you're against her. But they just seem to have totally disappeared from this. Secondly, everyone read more. Uh, I think this over. Uh, obsession with the YA genre is symptomatic of the problem that nobody actually does read. That's why we have to like politicize the hell out of YA. Um, so yeah, go go pick up a goddamn book, you know. I mean, there's a, there's like a <laughs> cliche where people like talk about Harry Potter and someone's like, read another book. But it is kind of true, you know, read another book, please. Okay, um, just to close things off, I, I recently went to Japan uh, on, on a vacation. You guys uh, you guys ever done like a like an onsen, which is like a, like a spring, mm -hmm. like a hot spring thing? It's amazing. I have not, no. Yeah, it was so nice. Like, um, like I, I feared because uh, of my tattoo. Uh, we, we went to Hakone, which is near Tokyo. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was a little worried that they might not let me in the public ones. We, we, didn't have, we didn't, never even had time to go to one. So we just had one out in our balcony. It's so nice because it's, like, cold outside. But then, uh, you know, so you're cold when you, like, you know, take off all your clothes. But then you get in. It's really hot. But then that contrast is so nice. And you're, like, drinking beer. 
And nice. Then, uh, then two other naked guys come in, and then you have a very, <laughs> you have a very intimate bonding moment together, and yeah, <laughs> it was really nice. Uh, Floating in the common uh, broth. <laughs> that's right. Oh, I thought man. you, I thought you said you were gonna get like be mistaken by for a yakuza, and then you're gonna have your own like yakuza video game story, and well, see that that's the thing. I think if I were not Asian and I had tattoos, it would be less, um, you know, it would probably be less of a deal. But if you're Asian, they they might have. Although my style is not like a you know yakuza style, so whatever. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was a really good time. It does it say barbecue like uh, Ariana? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yo, she's like she's like the the latest uh, uh like female celebrity to now get constantly dunked on. I, I just saw the, the news that um uh, Pete Davidson is dating Kate Beckinsale, which you know what? to him is a huge huge score, you know. Uh, but all these people are now using that. To slam Ariana Grande, saying, "Hey, he upgraded so much over you." And I was like, "It's like what you know." I don't know. It just for some reason she's it's become cool to hate her now. I honestly don't know a single Ariana Grande song. Um, I probably do. Forgettable. I just don't know it's her. You've heard them, but yeah. to me, like to me, it's just like back. Like it's you can tell that it's a pop song, but it's there's like nothing to catch you, like hook you in. It's very weird. It's like it's. It's like, so a, it's like a it's like a machine generated yeah. this pop right. song. She's mm-hmm. as close to like um, a real life um, VR idol as yeah. you can get. <laughs> yeah, she and and she like leans into that. Like that's sort of part of her appeal. But yeah, yeah like she she is so super popular and super rich. But yeah, like I don't think anyone can really pinpoint like what her songs are. Other than yeah, I mean, what's fake. her signature song? I mean, people always said, like, you know, Katy Perry and Taylor Swift were, like, fake and manufactured. But they had signature songs. Like, you could tell, yeah. like, oh, this is a Katy Perry song. And, you know, they all had, like, some really good songs, let's be honest. But I cannot name a single Ariana Grande song. I have no um, idea. Yeah. Uh, I just know this because I was uh, uh, a God is a Woman. Yeah, if I heard that oh, chorus, okay. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's that song. But I actually don't know... I can't even sing it. I, I can't either. I all I know is that all I know is that it was <laughs> the, the, the music video was playing on a on a, this giant screen at a bar, and I was a little toasted, and I had no idea. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and it was. It was like a. It was like a music video meant to simulate a drug trip or something. It was. It was kind of. Mm. It was kind of weird. But I can't for the life of me remember how it goes. She's yeah. very pretty. No, that's yeah. like that. It's it. She doesn't have anything that's signature. The only song I, the only, the only video I've seen was the "Thank You Next" one, and it was, that was literally like her most recent song. Yeah, <laughs> but it was literally just like a medley of popular, like teen movies from. The oh last yeah, I heard about years. that one. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, okay. How is it like? How is this original in any way? I don't understand. And she honestly, like, she has a good voice. Like, she has a range. She That's the one thing I hear about voice. her that she has. Uh, like, you know, she's like the. Well, probably not as good as Mariah Carey, but you know, it's like. Well, who a, is? A, a I mean, great, yeah, exactly. Like, there's who Mariah right? Carey, Whitney Houston, Aretha Franklin, and like who else? Right, Celine like, Dion. At least in terms yeah. of like pop singers. <laughs> Did you say she's Latino? I think she's Latina. No, no, she's she's Italian. She's Italian. I mean, that's that's another controversy she's that's Italian? come up. That she's like yeah. she's like tang- you know she's like white, but she kind of like plays at being. I think a lot of people do think that she's like Latina just because her name kind of sounds like it. But apparently she's Italian, and now there's this whole debate over are Italians white or not. You know they are. You know uh, for the for the record, but now and I think that's another reason why everyone's just like dunking on her now because they're kind of tired of her. She's she's become like too 
popular and famous without any backlash. So the backlash has to come and the tattoo, yeah. that silly tattoo. Yeah, she's all, like full a- Italian. She's just Italian. She's and yeah, she hits the so. she hits the self tanner pretty hard. So it's yeah, yeah. you can't it's say like, she's not kind of leaning into that misconception. Ha- have you no, guys ever she, seen yeah. um, the Mummy, the movie? No, which which well, the mummy? original one? The the nineteen ninety nine Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah of I course, love I love that movie. movie. You remember how in the beginning, the like the the pharaoh's like most beloved wife or concubine has like all that bronzer on her, so that if any man touches yeah. her, there's like a sign. It's like yeah, that right. level of. of <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that actress right. was I, Latina to play a, an an Egyptian. So yeah, like no, no, seriously, like nobody knows like what an actual Egyptian looks like. If like Mohammed Salah did not exist, I don't think the world would know like what an actual. Well, yeah, what like an ethnic Egyptian looks like? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? We talk about we talk about all of that. I'll say it. I said it again, but I'm just gonna keep on saying it. The real thing we gotta stop whitewashing are depictions of Romans, because this is so central to like white conceptions of self. Like the actual Romans would be rolling in their graves if they knew that their serfs, their white ass serfs, were playing them in a depiction of them. Yeah, and it's the it's the accent it's the accents that that piss me off. I mean, like like. Whatever, like they were all probably like European anyway, but it's always that they always get the Brit- British uh, actors to play Rome. Well, that yeah, they would hate the fact that they're suddenly being like conflated with Brits. Like they hated Brits. <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah, they were the savages. Yeah, you ever play Rome Total War? Like the, the the Britons are always the ones who like don't even have any armor. They're all like shirtless warriors because they're so <laughs> yeah. savage. That's and yeah. they're like they're like kind of tough just because th- their numbers are so big and they have no sense of like self preservation because they're too stupid. Yeah, Marcus Aurelius, he said it. He went on a campaign to Britannia and he wrote in winter, he's like, I am so fucking done with these giant, pale, hairy savages who have no concept of decorum. They'll just come into your camp fucking naked. He had such a big problem. How how dare they, you know, not die? (laughs) Uh, That's like every place they went, they raised a bathhouse first. They're like, no, no, this shit just, we, we need to take a fucking bath now. Okay. <laughs> There's this uh, HBO series Rome. It was like exactly. Years they were ago. all British. Yeah, they yeah. were all British, but they actually did, you know, show like like tan skin people. But the main character was like this, um, like like Brit, like British, um, like transplant to Rome. Like he wasn't from from Rome. He was like an immigrant, and they're like shitting on him the whole time. Which is like more realistic, but it's still like centering the whitest person that they could find. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the worst examples of this was uh, Enemy at the Gate. You guys ever seen that movie? Mm-mm. Yeah, that's so what they oh, made, yeah. yeah, that's, that's the one that's with the, the snipers, right? The snipers. Well, yeah, in, in it's Russia. set in the ba- Battle of Stalingrad. It stars yeah. Jude Law, uh, Joseph Fiennes, um, right. Ed Harris, and uh, Rachel Weisz. But they made like all like the good characters in the the Red Army British, and they and I remember like certain like buffoonish characters, <laughs> and they had like I, I think they had like thick Russian accents, like very stereotypical Russian accents. But you know Jude Law and uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph Fiennes and Rachel Weisz, they all had like posh British accents because you know they were the good characters. Well, and you know yeah yeah the the you know the Western Front can never ever give uh, credit to the Eastern Front. You know that's like the 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 law of World War Two. You know. The British right, think they right. did everything. The Americans think they did everything. Uh, yeah, I heard they totally misrepresented some of the stuff. Like there was a scene where all the Russian officers made the Russian soldiers uh, keep 
pushing forward. And if anybody yeah, they went shoot back, all the they would, yeah, and and that actually never happened. Like the probably, I mean, like like the I'm sh I'm sure the Stalinist army was very brutal, but I, I would not be surprised if they totally made that up. Yeah, they, they made totally the, made that up. Veterans were like pissed about that. Well, yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean I, I, as, as, as they should be, you know, like yeah. like the the world the world uh, owes uh, uh, you know our freedom to the to the Red Army. <laughs> <laughs> That's unpatriotic to say, but that is the truth. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I think that's a good place to end it. Um. So, uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for joining us, uh, guys. Um. This was a good talk, and uh, see you guys next week. Thanks. Right. Thanks. Bye. 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 Hi, thank you for listening to Escape for Plan A. This was Oxford. I was here with Jess, Diana, and Mark. And this was our episode on the YA Twitter insanity regarding the uh, Amelie Wenzhou novel, uh, Blood Air. Uh, as we said in the beginning, if you like us, please subscribe to us. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, and Google Play. Please leave us a review if you like us. And, you know, go follow us on Twitter. We all have our individual accounts that you'll see in the episode description. And, you know, go to our Facebook page and like us. And if you want to read our articles, go to planamag.com. And also, importantly, if you have any feedback or any submissions you want to send to us, please send it to us at editor.planamag at gmail.com. That address will also be in the episode description. So next week, we'll see you then. Goodbye, everyone.